We're starting a new series today, and so thank you for for making it through the weather and for braving the the snow and the ice to be here present. Uh, For those of you that have joined us online, we're glad that you carved out this time and that you are worshiping God with us and hearing from His Word. We're starting a new series today, and it's titled Plan B. And if you've been around long, you know that I like a little play on words every now and then. And so part of it just fits with 2020 is kind of the year of plan B, right? Or C or D, or maybe we're on plan Q at this point. I'm not sure. Uh, But there have been a lot of changes. There have been a lot of dilemmas. There have been pivots and regroups. There have been quandaries and what feel like lose-lose decisions and trade-offs and tough choices. And so there's that element of plan B, but there's also the idea that it's not just plan B, the letter B, it's plan B with an E. That God's plan A for your life is that you would be a child of God, that you would be in relationship with Him, that you would be a part of a family of families where you can worship Him and where you can know Him and be known by Him, where you can know others and be known by Others And so this new series is based on Romans 12, and uh, it has to do with our hope and our encouragement in Christ and with discovering what Jesus's plan A is for you and for everyone that you meet. And so there's four parts to this uh, series. We're going to start with the first one today, believe, belong, become, and be holy. See what I did there on that last one, be holy. It kind of fits the theme. I almost went with behave, but behave is, is only part of that. Like God wants us to be holy, not just to check a bunch of boxes on a list of do's and don'ts, but to be holy and to be set apart, to be consecrated for him, for his purposes in our lives. And so um, we, we want to believe in Christ. We want to belong to a family of God. We want to become everything that he desires us to be, and we want to be holy. And part of that uh, actually comes from our Wesleyan denomination and, uh, and the membership process that we talk about here at Linwood. And so at the end of this series, you'll have an opportunity, if you're interested in membership, uh, you can save the date for November 15th following the service. We'll have a membership class. We'll give you lunch. We'll talk about what it means to believe, belong, and become uh, a part of our family of families through formal church membership. And so I would encourage you with that because this is really at the heart of everything that we are. Our mission statement that Pastor Zach shared at the beginning is to reach people for Christ. That's the believe part. We want to reach people for Christ, introduce them to the God who is crazy about them and who loves them so much that he would come to earth and die for them to bring them into the family of God. The next phrase of our mission statement is to give them a place to belong. Once we reach people for Christ, once they believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we want to make sure they have a place that they belong, where everyone knows their name and they're always glad they came, right? You remember that show, right? Cheers. You see, the world would say you can find that type of belonging at a bar, but we know that it's not there, that the type of belonging that God intends for us to have is the type that we find in his presence, in the presence of other believers as we learn and grow together. And that's where the third phrase in our mission statement comes, to help them grow in their faith. Once we reach them for Christ, once we give them a place to belong in God's family, then we help them grow in their faith. We help them become 
everything that God desires for them to be. We help them to become his children and to grow as disciples who make disciples. And that's where the be holy comes in at the very end. So each of those topics fits with a chunk of Romans chapter 12. We're going to start with the first two verses today, and we'll move through that over the next three weeks. I want to really encourage you to read Romans 12 a lot over the next three weeks. I want to dare you. Remember back in middle school when somebody dared you? That was fighting words. You had to pay attention. I want to dare you to read Romans 12 every day for the next three weeks. And watch what God shows you from his word as you do that. I did that with this passage for six months one year. It was a really good year. I learned a lot about God's will for my life by reading Romans chapter 12 every day. You can change translations. You can pick different versions, different wordings. You can use audio. You can use different Bibles. Uh, But I want to encourage you to do that. And I want to even challenge and dare you to do that and see what God might do. In our family, we read about a chapter of Scripture every night before bed, and we have a little evening worship that we do right before bed. And we're going to be reading Romans 12 every day and be asking, what's what's God saying to you today? What stands out today from this chapter, this powerful, powerful chapter of Scripture? And so today we're taking the first Uh, two verses of Romans chapter 12, and we're looking at the subject of believe, to believe in Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And this passage has some very powerful things to say to us about that. And when we talk about the subject of believing, we're talking about faith. We're not just talking about intellectual agreement with something. We're talking about believing. There's a Greek word, and the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language because that was the language of the day. It was like English is today. That's what Greek was 2,000 years ago when the first Bibles were being written, the first New Testaments were being circulated, and Paul's letters were written in Greek. And the Greek word that we translate as believe or as faith is this little word pistis, pistis, and it means to have faith in, to believe in, to trust, and to have great confidence in. That's what it means, not just that we agree that it's true, kind of like you could say, well, I believe that the Declaration of Independence was signed on January 4, 1776. That's intellectual agreement with a fact. We're talking about relying upon, clinging to, trusting in Christ and Christ alone for our salvation, relying upon, clinging in, and trusting to the gospel, the gospel, the good news. That's what we're talking about when we talk about believing God. And Romans 12, 1 through 2 provides a great transition into this chapter, into this application of God's word. And so I want to look at verses 1 and 2 and, and see how they really set up. They're transitional. They, they transition us from the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans to the last five chapters of the book of Romans, particularly chapters 12 through 15, where Paul makes a practical application of everything that he has said in the first 11 chapters. We'll dig into that a little bit. But Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind so that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now there's a lot there in those two verses, in those two sentences that, that, that Paul is transitioning, like we said. It's paradigm shifting. He's saying that this is how we are to live in light of, in view of God's mercy. We live this way. So the ESV study Bible makes this statement that, that this is setting a paradigm for all the commands, all the exhortations that follow it. That they are to be done with total dedication to God. That that's the paradigm for believers, for followers of Christ. That we would do these things with total dedication and devotion to God. And so these verses here, verse 1 and 2, summarize the response to God's grace. He's been expounding upon God's grace for the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. And this is the response to God's grace. They encapsulate what it means to live in a way that pleases God. And so when we look back at at chapters 1 through 11, we see some pretty big themes. And it's important that we understand what things are talked about. I would encourage you to read those chapters and, and to make note of the big ideas that are covered there. I'll summarize just a few of them because there's a therefore, and the therefore means that everything that has come before leads to this point. And now he's making application in everything that comes after. And so if you were to start reading in the first couple of chapters of the book of Romans, you would pick up on this theme very quickly in the first three chapters that all have sinned and are, have fallen short of the glory of God. All are in need of a Savior. We need to be saved. In chapter 4 and 5, you see that the Old Testament law, even though it is good, even though it is holy, it cannot counteract sin. It cannot save us. Only Christ can save us. That theme gets introduced in chapter 6, that Christ's righteousness is available to us, that he can, we can take Christ's righteousness and put it on ourselves and cover up our own unrighteousness, be cleansed completely from our own unrighteousness, which will separate us from God. Christ's righteousness is available to us, and through his righteousness, sin is defeated and salvation is provided. Not only that, but our justification, our atonement is only through faith in him. It's not through the things that we do. It's through our certain hope that we have in Christ. That is good news. That is the gospel. And through this good news, as we respond to it, we we put the flesh, the sinful nature, the part that rebels against God, we put that to death and we choose to live by faith. We choose to live by his spirit. We see that emerge in chapter 8. And then chapters 9, 10, and 11 deal with the sovereignty of God, that he works all things together for the good of those who loved him and are called according to his purpose. And so 9, 10, and 11 prove that God is going to fulfill his promises, both to Jews and to Gentiles. So there's a lot covered in those first 11 chapters. And then we get this, therefore, in view of God's mercy, in view of the doors of heaven being thrown open to all people everywhere through the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, offer your bodies, offer your very lives as living sacrifices, not dying sacrifices, 
You see, the Old Testament system, when you sinned, when you fell short, which was constantly, you brought a sacrifice, and the sacrifice made atonement for your sin. And so you brought a goat, or you brought a sheep, or you brought two turtle doves, and they died. They were dying sacrifices. Paul is saying, in view of God's mercy, in view of the the gates of heaven being thrown open to all people everywhere, offer your very lives as living sacrifices, not dying sacrifices, living sacrifices, holy And pleasing to God, that word holy means set apart. It means consecrated. It means devoted to God, that our very lives become holy as we devote them to God. Not just with the things that we do, but with the motives behind them. And pleasing to God, this becomes our first priority, that we would please God in everything we do. That's what a living sacrifice does, is it puts God first. It says it's all about you. This is is our spiritual act of worship. That's the vision that Paul is casting for our lives. That's the the vision that God is casting for our lives through Paul's pen as he writes this letter. Do you realize that? That there's a vision for your life that it is holy and pleasing to God, that is completely set apart, devoted, consecrated to God as a living sacrifice. That's our act of worship. It's not It's not putting God in a box for an hour or two on Sunday and 15-minute devotional at the beginning of the day and maybe a group or a Bible study some point. It's the whole thing. The whole life is set apart for God. And so then in verse 2, he says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is to put God in a box, to put God in a temple. And when you're in the temple and when you're doing temple things, do temple things, but the rest of the time, you know, go ahead and live your life. No, he says, don't don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we aren't going to trans, we're not going to conform to the world. We're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Transform is a loaded word. Transform is a really important word. It's really important. It's central to this whole passage, and it's central to understanding the, the belief that we have in Christ and what it does in our lives. You see, the word transformed is the Greek word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. You've probably heard that word before. One of the images that comes to mind when I think about a metamorphosis is if you've ever seen a butterfly hatch from a cocoon. That's evidence of a metamorphosis that has taken place. This slimy, gooey thing that could only crawl on twigs and leaves metamorphosizes. It changes form. It goes into the cocoon. The cocoon gets hard around it, and then this beautiful butterfly comes out. That's an example of metamorphosis. It's a change of form. Go in one way, come out a totally different way. But it's interesting, when I looked up this word and I was looking it up in a Bible dictionary and reading what that original Greek word means, the first half of it, meta, it means a change that comes as a result of or after being with someone or something. It's a change that follows being with So when we talk about metamorphosis and the way that Paul is using it here, he's saying that we will be changed by the time we spend with God. We will be changed by the time that we spend in fellowship with him and with each other, that we will undergo a change in form. We'll look different. We'll act different. We'll make different decisions. We might say different things. We might act in different ways. 
And there are a couple of other passages in Scripture that give us some insight into what this transformation might look like. And, and it's an interesting word. It only appears four times in the New Testament. And two of them have to do with the Mount of Transfiguration. That story we'll look at in just a moment. It's recorded in the book of Mark, and it's recorded in the book of Matthew. And then Paul references this word and this idea of being transformed into the image of God, into the image of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So we're going to look at both of those passages. But in Matthew 17, we, we hear a story about Jesus undergoing a transfiguration or a transformation. It's the same Greek word metamorphosis. And so I want to read those to you. It's on the screen behind me, or you can turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 17 and verses 1 through 8. We read this. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And there he, Jesus, was transformed. He metamorphosis before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. Picture this in your mind. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Now Moses and Elijah are figures from the Old Testament, but they're significant figures from the Old Testament. Because if you know your Old Testament, you know that Moses didn't die the way that most people die and was buried somewhere in, on the outside of the Promised Land. If you read the end of Deuteronomy, we find out that Moses was taken away by God. And and God performed his funeral, essentially. And so that's unique in the way that Moses left this earth. It's not the way that most people do. And Elijah falls into the same category. If you know your Old Testament prophets, you know that Elijah caught fire from heaven and was taken into heaven by God himself in a chariot of fire. And so those are the two people that are meeting with Jesus as he's transformed before the disciples' eyes. And they're talking with him. And just for a little bit of comic relief, Peter decides to say something, right? So Peter said to Jesus, Lord, gosh, it's good to be here. If you want, we'll put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. It makes no sense whatsoever. In fact, Mark even says, kind of in a parenthetical comment, He didn't know what he was saying. (laughs) He was just caught up in the moment. And leave it to Peter, even though he didn't know what to say, that didn't stop him from saying something, okay? So we can get a little encouragement from Peter sometimes. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Don't talk, Peter. Just listen. Listen to what he has to say. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Now, there's a number of things going on here, but if you notice that word transfigured, that's the same word, metamorphosis, as when Paul tells us, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Jesus underwent a change in form. His face shone like the sun. His clothes were white as light. That means that this change in form was immediately recognizable. It was unmistakable, and it was unforgettable. They will never forget what they experienced on the Mount of Transfiguration, I guarantee you. 
In fact, Peter was awestruck. He was dumbfounded. He didn't know what to say. And verse 5, after Peter's little interjection, verse 5 says that while he was still speaking, God expresses his love and his pleasure for Jesus. Remember what Paul said in Romans 12? That we would offer our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. We have an example. We have an example in the person of Jesus Christ who offered his life as a living sacrifice. Not a dying. He did die on the cross, but he was resurrected. Through his sacrifice, death was defeated. Sin was defeated. And he was resurrected. And so when God says, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, we see that Christ was that original living sacrifice. He was the model for us. And so our transformation involves becoming more like Jesus. Taking on his nature, taking on his character, taking on his humility, his wisdom, his desire to bring peace between people and God. And so that's the first thing that we can learn about this transformation is that Jesus set the example for us. But Paul also writes in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he uses this word again and he talks about being conformed to the likeness of Christ. So this all fits together really powerfully. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is making a comparison between the glory of the new covenant and the glory of the old covenant. That the old covenant was good and it was holy, but it fell short. It did, not, it did not bring salvation. It highlighted our need for salvation, so God sent his son. And in this passage, he says that the glory of the new covenant is so much greater than the glory of the old covenant. It, they don't even belong in the same conversation, essentially. And so great was the glory of the Old Covenant that when Moses went up onto Mount Sinai and he received the Old Covenant, when he received the Ten Commandments, when he received the law, he came down and we're told in Exodus 19 that his face shone so brightly from being in the presence of God that the people said, you got to put a veil over that. you got to cover that up. We can't take it all in. And that was the Old Covenant. So how much greater is the glory of the New Covenant? That brings us into the family of God. The covenant of grace instead of the covenant of the law. And he he takes that one step further and he says that by putting that veil over Moses' face, it was kind of like putting a veil over their hearts. And so even when the scriptures were read, it wasn't able to transform them the way that Christ's love in us and through us is able to transform us. And he says when we turn to the Lord, when we come to faith, in, in the Lord, through Christ, the veil is taken away. The veil is taken away. And then he says in verse 18, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, we are to have unveiled faces as we go out into this world. We don't cover the glory of the Lord. We want it to reflect off of us into the world around us. We want to remove any barriers. We want to be a a mirror of God's love, of God's glory, of God's grace to, to reflect off of us into the world around us, Paul is saying. And we do this by being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. It's not 
static. It's not just a one-time event. It's ever-increasing glory. And that brings us back to renewing our mind, as Paul says in verse 2, chapter 12, verse 2, renewing your mind. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. That's a renovation. That's what that word renewing means. It means renovation. Maybe you saw in the Friday update, or maybe you just walked down the hall to go to the bathroom and saw that the the bathrooms are closed. They're, They're being renewed. There's going to be a change that's going to take place. It will be immediately recognizable. It will be unmistakable. The first time you walk into those bathrooms, you will know that a change has taken place in those bathrooms. That's just one small example. The same should be true for us, that as we renew our minds, we renew not only our thoughts, but the way that we think. We renew not only our understanding But our intellect as well, we are renewed in our mind. And as we are renewed in our mind, our behavior will follow that. Our behavior will change as our way of thinking changes, as we take on holy wisdom, as we take on the person of Christ. With ever-increasing glory. And so the emphasis in all of this, and I hope you're picking it up, is, is change. It's change. It's to be changed by changing is essentially what he's saying. When, when it says be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he's saying be changed by changing. Change the way you think. Change the way you act. Change your values. Change the things that matter to you as you take on the image of Christ, as you take on the likeness of Christ. It's all about the change. And so a good question at this point is what has changed? What is changing? One person came to me after the first service and said they wrote in their Bible, it's all about the change, and change comes one change at a time. I love that. Change comes one change at a time. You see, I am not the person I was 16 years ago when I met Jesus and began a relationship with him. I don't think the way I thought. I don't value many of the things that I value back then. I don't act, thank God, the way I acted back then. Maybe it's hard for you to imagine, but I wasn't always a very nice person back then. Maybe you don't think I'm always a very nice person now. You should have seen me 16 years ago before Jesus got a hold of me. And interestingly enough, one of the things that needed to change when I came to faith in Christ was what I was listening to. The music that I was listening to was not befitting a child of God. And so I suddenly had a couple hundred CDs and about half of them didn't need to be playing over the, over the speakers in my car or at my home. And I didn't own a lot of Christian music, so I started listening to K-Love. And I started listening to K-Love every time I got into the car and every time I was at home, I would turn it on. And when I got a chance to play it at work, I would play it at work. And there was a song that was released by Stephen Curtis Chapman in 1999 titled Change. And the chorus of that song got a hold of me because this was right around 2003, 2004. That song was still in the heavy rotation. And the chorus of that song says, what about the change? What about the difference? It's not about collecting a bunch of Christian trinkets. It's about a change. It's about a difference. What about grace? What about forgiveness? What about a life that's showing that I'm undergoing the change? It's all about the change. You see, it's about changing from 
the old dead way of life to a new way of life, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, our very lives as living sacrifices so that the old can die in order that the new can come to life. That what God wants to do in us and what God wants to do through us can emerge because the old is passing away. As John said, John the Baptist, he must increase, I must decrease. That's a change to make us holy and pleasing to be our spiritual act of worship. And it's not about you. It's about him. That's our spiritual act of worship is laying ourselves down, putting ourselves aside, undergoing this transformation as we are changed by being with Jesus, changed by spending time with Jesus, experiencing God's pleasure and reflecting his glory. And the conclusion of all of this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, is that we would be able to test and approve God's will, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And as I looked at that, I was like, well, in order to test His will, you've got to know His will. So if you want to get practical, the first practical thing to do if you're motivated to change is to know God's will. Spend time in His Word. We talk about this all the time around here. My hope and my prayer, and I walk through this sanctuary and I pray over these seats and I pray for a hunger for God's word that every single person in this church would be engaging scripture on a daily basis. Not just reading it or listening to it, but but reflecting on it, processing it, journaling about it, engaging in conversation about it, going deep into a study Bible, spending time in God's word every single day so that we would know his will. Then it says we can test his will, that means we're going to do what it says. We're going to try this out. He says to tithe. Okay, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to set aside 10% in order to honor God with my finances, in order to practice good stewardship. I'm going to test that out. That's one area where God says, test me in this and see if I won't throw open the storehouse of heaven and rain down such a blessing on you that you won't even be able to hold it all. To test his will, to know his will, to test his will, to be kind, to be humble, put others first, to do justice, all the things that, that scripture tells us to do, all the things that Paul tells us to do in the, in the latter half of Romans 12 and on into 13, 14, and 15, that we actually do those things, we obey him, and then we can approve his will. We can approve it, prove it, we can prove it genuine, we can prove and gather evidence and proof that God's will really is good and perfect and pleasing. That it's better to do things His way than to do things our way. That it's better to be transformed by the renewing of our minds than to be conformed to the ways of this world. And so we put our hope and our trust and our faith in that. And we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And we change. And we don't stop changing just because we changed a little bit. We keep changing, we keep growing, we keep pursuing, we keep taking on the image of Christ. And so our bottom line today, our bottom line is that saving belief is transforming belief. We're talking about believing God. We're talking about faith in God. We're talking about trust and confidence and faith and belief. And saving belief is transforming belief. It's the belief that changes you. You see, the belief that saves you is the belief that changes you. The faith that saves you is a faith that changes you. It doesn't leave you the same. 
Said another way, life-saving faith is life-changing faith. Life-saving faith is life-changing faith. And if there is no change or there is very, very little change, then you need to wrestle with that. Because maybe there's very, very little faith. Or maybe your faith is in the wrong things. Maybe your faith is in your ability to do. Or maybe your faith is in some partial gospel that hasn't transformed your heart, that hasn't changed the way you think and changed the way you act and changed the way you encounter the world and reflect God's glory to that world. And so wherever you are on that, it's not too late to start and it's not too late to start over. That's the good news that God gives us a do-over every single day. Every single day, His mercies are new every single day. He invites us to come to Him every single day and to be transformed by His Spirit, be transformed by knowing His will, testing His will, and approving His will. So don't wait. Today may be the day of your salvation. Today may be the day that you come back to Him. Today may be the day that you seek a new relationship with Him. You seek a revitalized relationship with Him. You seek to make the things of God important in your life, wherever you are, wherever this message hits home for you. My hope and my prayer is that we will always be a people who will respond in faith. Maybe you're doing great. Maybe you're, you know God's will and you're doing God's will and you just need to come alongside somebody and encourage them and walk with them and help them to be transformed. Wherever this meets you, my prayer is that you respond in faith. You say, God, what do you want me to do with what I've heard? How do you want me to be different tomorrow because I came to church today? And then do it. It's that simple. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the way that it speaks to us. We thank you for the hope that is available to us through the power of the gospel. Through the power of transformation, of changed lives. Lord, may there be a change evident in us. Help us to respond in faith. Help us to lean into you. Help us to receive the gift of salvation. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is salvation through Jesus Christ, through faith in him. If there's someone listening who wants a relationship with Christ, you can have that today. You can confess that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. You can turn your life, your will, over to His care and His control. You can ask Him to lead you and to guide you and to transform you and change you into His image. If that's your prayer today, I hope you will let us know. Come and speak to me after the service. Send me an email. Write it on your connection card. May every single one of us respond in faith. Take our next step. Make the next change. Holy Spirit, reveal to us what that is and make us quick to obey. Help us to be made holy in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.